Welcome to Courtney Watches Movies, the podcast in which I, the titular Courtney, review, analyze, and most likely overthink movies and the filmmakers who've brought them to life. How in the world are you this fine day? I hope you are doing splendidly. Let's get right into it. So I thought, oh, I haven't done a film giant episode in a while, a which is just a format that I do where I watch a very, very popular, big movie for film history that I have never seen before. And it's funny because I, as much as I enjoy movies, which I, I really do, there's still a lot of them I haven't seen, really big ones. I, I've done Citizen Kane on this podcast. I've done Avatar, both of those watching them for the first time. And I thought it would be fun to tackle, well, as you saw by the title, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Well, fun might not be a good word, but I thought it would, it would be interesting because one of my closest friends has been trying to get me to watch this movie for, well, I think we've known each other about six or seven years. So that would be six or seven years. And I have always been really resistant because if you've listened at all before, you probably know I'm a little bit freaked out by horror films. I am a wee bit of a baby, as we might say, and it's not something that I'm naturally drawn to. But like I said, my friend has been talking to me about it for years, assuring me that it's kind of an important film in terms of just movie history and, and for the cinematic qualities. So Last night, I thought, okay, I'll just dive in and, and give it a watch. So this movie is, uh, it is from 1974, very, very famously from 1974, super low budget, directed by Toby Hooper, who would later go on to do like Poltergeist and become a very um, respectable horror film director and just a director in general. Uh, the cast is not, uh, it, it was a cast of unknowns, so... The IMDb summary just says, five friends head out to rural Texas to visit the grave of a grandfather. On the way, they stumble across what appears to be a deserted house, only to discover something sinister within, something armed with a chainsaw. Okay, first of all, five friends head out to rural Texas to visit the grave of a grandfather. I don't really know why, but I guess that's their business, and the friends would be... I guess her name is Marilyn Burns, plays Sally, the main character slash victim, and then her brother, Franklin, Paul A. Partain, and then it looks like uh, Gunnar Hansen plays the Leatherface himself, and like I said, not, not a super knowledgeable cast, even adjusted for inflation, I believe I read that the budget for this film would be $800,000, which is extraordinarily low for a film and like as i said that's adjusted for inflation so even these days it would be a super cheap film to make very very low budget and it, the movie opens with a very strange altar type statue thing made partially of human body parts and we hear over the radio that there has been a 
rash of grave robberies in the area as as a, as the summary says this is somewhere in east texas so uh the the landscape is pretty pretty texan you know i don't know how else to describe it it's not exactly desolate and it's not exactly dry it just if you've been if you've driven through texas it looks like it looks like when you drive through texas i don't know i don't know what else to say it just has a certain look to it which i have to I have to give them the props where it's due because I, I'm pretty sure they filmed on location. It feels very real. It feels very authentic, feels very gritty. And there is a set of five friends. They look to be older teens, maybe late teens. You know, what's funny. This is such a sidebar, but I am terrible at guessing people's ages. I almost always think people are older than they are. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I would never put any of them as teenagers, but it could be just a matter of it's because it's the 70s and everybody looked older than they were to me especially the men with the sideburns and the crazy hair and I don't and the facial hair like I don't know I just when I look at pictures from back then I feel like oh people look people looked a lot older or even if you go further back when you watch black and white movies and you do research and you go oh dear god Carol Lombard was only 23 when she filmed this I would have thought she was in her mid-30s I think it was just I don't know. Am I off base or do you guys feel like people aged a little bit differently back in the day? <laughs> weren't we weren't rubbing themselves in retinols all day and stay out of the sun or something. I don't know. I'm probably smoking like chimneys and I, I don't know. But they look to be late teens and they're all in this van and the the main character, well, she becomes the main character. It's not obvious at first, but she's kind of the quote unquote final girl in the horror trope setup. She's the final girl. She, her name is Sally, again, played by Marilyn Burns. Her brother is in some way handicapped. They don't, I don't believe they ever clarified what happened if he was born that way or had an accident or something, but he is in a wheelchair and Sally's boyfriend is there and then another of her friends and then that friend's boyfriend. So it's these five teenagers and they decide to pick up a hitchhiker who immediately starts acting super weird, super crazy. I'm not going to give it away on the off chance you haven't seen it, but he starts acting super weird and they eventually do kick him out and he kind of, he leaves a strange little marking on the side of their van, kind of in his own blood. Cause it, cause one of the things he does when he's acting a fool in the van is he cuts himself with a knife, like on the palm. And so Sally and her brother, Franklin, they have this old family farm, which is just dilapidated and totally abandoned, but they remember it from when they were kids. So the five friends go to their family farm. They kind of ditch Franklin in his wheelchair and two go off to go to the swimming hole and they keep, they keep walking when they see that there's kind of a house in the distance because oh an important part I forgot sorry is their van's about to run out of gas and they stop at a gas station and he's like we're out of fuel and he's all suspicious too like meaning the gas guy but yeah he, he says we're out of fuel so they're kind of screwed so they are sorry I, I missed that part I got ahead of myself so when they go to the old house of Sally and Franklin's family it is in total disrepair and it's funny for the whole movie i had to kind of remove myself from being a 
oh, I almost said a 2022. I still have to get used to it. A 2023 person and put myself in the context of the early 70s and just think, okay, this was before, uh, this was before it was super common to know about serial killers. This is when people still trusted each other. This was when it was just culturally very different because at every step when I watch this movie, I go, I would never have done this. I would never have picked up a crazy hitchhiker on the side of the road in East Texas. And to be honest, listen, call me shallow, but part of the whole thing was the guy looked like he smelled so bad. Okay. And I'm like, don't, you can't get in my car smelling like that. Sorry. But I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have hung out on the, at the sketchy house, even if it was my family's house, there was just something weird about it. I, I kept thinking, I kept telling my friend, do these people not have any survival instincts? Like, do, is nothing in them kind of ringing a bell? But he just kept telling me, imagine you lived in a different time, okay? And you didn't know all that you know about weirdos and creepers. But the two friends, they go to this house and they're trying to get help to get gas and the the male knocks on the door. There's no answer to this crazy house with all this these taxidermied animals in it, which uh, <laughs> coming from a family with a lot of hunters, I have to clarify, I understand that taxidermied animals does not mean you are a killer of people. And there are even people who only have ethical taxidermy. It's called where they you know, they only have taxidermy animals that died of natural causes. Some people just like the look. And so I want to just put a point of clarification out. I am not under the impression remotely that taxidermy animals are the only reason somebody would be creepy. Like that's, I mean, they're not an indicator of creepiness. That's what I meant to say. I'm like stumbling over my words. But in this house, it definitely is an indicator of creepiness because he is met with the titular character of well, he's not the titular character. What am I saying? But he's the famous character of Leatherface, right? The very physically large, imposing gentleman in a mask, apparently made from human skin. And there's all sorts of crazy stuff in that house. There's furniture with made from human remains and bo just bones and, and uh, yeah, skin and hair and all that jazz. Which immediately reminded me of, and I, I did some research afterward. I, I'm sure that that was the idea where part of the inspiration came from, but it reminded me of Ed Gein. You guys know that, that famous criminal? He was an interesting character too. Also lived in a remote farmhouse and then was discovered to be a part-time grave robber, robber part-time killer, and had bits of bits of people in his in his home decorating his home which is just repulsive but it did remind me of him and it kind of turns into a situation where again it, it's the now a classic horror trope of everybody's getting bumped off right by this big character starting with the one of the male friends of the group of friends and then his girlfriend follows and so on and so on as people are as they are attempting to rescue each other they are then putting themselves in harm's way with this leatherface character who turns out to be a member of an overarching uh cannibal family so it's something they all do together isn't that charming 
yeah, there, it's a it's a family of cannibals who are very strange, and that's putting it mildly. But it's just it's odd to watch the dynamics of the family work. It's <laughs> because the one the brother who is kind of running the whole show doesn't actually want to kill anyone. He's very squeamish. And he kind of, it almost seems like Leatherface is, is more simple-minded and he's more controlled. And he listens to his brothers. They tell him what to do about everything. And then obviously, spoiler alert, the crazy hitchhiker who cut himself, he turns out to belong to the cannibal family too, which I kind of saw coming. And eventually, pop, 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 spoiler alert, but it's not that much of a spoiler. The only one left is Sally. And she has to fight for her life to survive from the clutches and the grips of this family. And overall, it's funny to say that I liked this movie because that's not exactly accurate. I can't say that I liked it, right? Because I don't, I don't like the content at all. I think cannibalism is disgusting. I don't even really like thinking about it because I find it so repulsive. I think that there's a sadness to it that this whole crazy family is in bondage to something so sick. And when I say in bondage, I, I obviously mean in mental and emotional bondage to this illness, this illness of the way that they think. You can tell that there is heavy, heavy mental illness going on. And that, that element of it is sad, and that doesn't justify anything that they do. Obviously, they're heinous people, but there is this sad feeling of kind of what, what else were they destined to become being raised the way they were. And so that sense of inevitability is really sad. So the, uh, I, I have compassion, I guess, on that level because I don't think they had much of a choice, especially Leatherface, the character. But on the other hand, he's evil and he's totally appears to be without a moral or ethical backbone. And so that's, that's, that's gross, right? But that's what makes him a memorable villain, I guess. One thing I really liked about this movie is that even though it is super, super low budget, I appreciated how that played out. Now, let me explain. It felt like you were just kind of watching somebody's home video. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Like in the beginning, oh, I'm watching these teenagers in the 70s go on a road trip together. It felt very rough. And I mean that in a complimentary sense. In fact, Ever since I watched it, I've been thinking, I wonder if I would enjoy it if more movies now weren't quite so polished and they didn't have such a sheen to them that made it so obvious that you're watching a movie. And I'm not saying every movie should be like that, but I do think it's special. I think it's, I think it's special. I think it stands out because you're watching this Texas Chainsaw Massacre and going, man, this just has a different feeling than a lot of movies these days, which is one thing I really appreciated about it. It's very gritty. The shots are crazy. 
I can tell that if I were a person seeing this in 1974, it would be beyond groundbreaking in terms of what was available. It would be shocking. There's actually very little blood and there's very little visible violence. There's a lot of implied violence. There's a lot of you know what's going on, but you don't really visually see it, which for me, I appreciate because I'm the kind of person who sometimes like the images will just stay with me. You know what I mean? And I'm really glad that they weren't super graphic about that and just kind of like left it could kind of pan away or show something else or, you know, things to that degree. But I, I must say I did really enjoy how I did enjoy how the low budgetness of this played out. And it makes me curious, what am I missing out on now because it doesn't get any attention or coverage? You know, what films are people making now, if any, that feel kind of authentic in this way? And it made me a little bit sad that cameras are so good now, <laughs> as crazy as that sounds. And I know I get on here all the time and I talk about the amazing production design and cinematography and camera work of so many movies that I see. But this made me a little bit disappointed that films don't have that kind of heavy, grainy, smudged, dirty, just like feel to them anymore with it without coming across as artificial because it is artificial, right? The, the, the jig is up. We all know that cameras are really high quality now and everything looks smooth. And if you have enough money, any person can buy a, a really top-notch, amazing camera that just looks like you could, you're right there, you know? So it made me a little bit nostalgic for a bygone era that which I wasn't even for which I wasn't even alive but I suffer from that a lot I don't know if you could tell but I did like that there are a lot of parallels to vegetarian and veganism oddly enough because the cannibal family they did work at a slaughterhouse in the area local uh cow slaughterhouse and one of the things that one of the themes is that they're kind of lamenting the fact that the technology has changed and it's they're not really needed to kill the cattle in the same way that they did before in terms of just bludgeoning uh it, the system of killing cows was very different by then and it's different now so the family's kind of lamenting the fact that they can't play that role anymore and there, it, there's probably some heavy-handed parallels to veganism and vegetarianism in there somewhere. Uh, there's a couple of graphic descriptions of, for instance, how they make head cheese, how they produce different uh, animal products in terms of food, which is very gross, super upsetting. And so it's definitely a little bit... Um, on the nose like they at one point they push the main lady sally kind of into the position that would be like the old school way of killing a cow right so it's a little bit it's a little heavy-handed i do think there's a little bit going on you have to remember what year this was so i think there's a little bit going on about vietnam there's a little bit of metaphor going on there because they also several characters reference 
you know, well, what do you think is going to happen to you if you keep going into someone's home uninvited? What do you think is going to, what do, what do you think is going to happen to you if you keep butting in kind of, et cetera, things like that. So lots of vegetarian parallels, lots of Vietnam parallels. There's a lot going on in this movie. I, I think I would say I overall, and again, liked is not a good word because I don't like the topic. I don't like how it played out, but I enjoyed aspects of the film and I have a lot of respect for how much it, it, it inspired, I guess, in terms of especially the horror genre. It was interesting to see this after I've seen some other movies because I was going, oh, geez, well, that's probably what inspired that scene in X or, you know what I mean? I could just picture it all because it was kind of a, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> like, it, oh, it was the torchbearer, right? It was like the torchbearer of that kind of, that kind of film. And so I, res I respect it. I get why it's a classic 100%. I understand why people hold it in the reverence with which they do. It is incredibly tense. It's very atmospheric. Um, you want to pull the characters out of the situation, I think, which is a very powerful emotion to evoke in people where you just kind of wish you could save everybody. And to me, for me, even though I'm not a big fan of the horror genre, that is one of the things that I enjoy. I like that it inspires that feeling of, oh goodness, if I could just rescue you. Because that, that, I find that that happens a lot. And it's just like, it gives you such compassion for people. Because another, another trope in horror is that a lot of the characters who later turn out to be victims are kind of, in the beginning of the film, they're kind of irritating or, oh, I don't know, human and imperfect and we're not really supposed to like them. But then later on down the road, you start going, oh man, they just, they don't deserve this treatment though. And it doesn't matter how I felt about them before. I still have compassion and empathy and sympathy for them. And I wish I could get them out of this situation. So on that level, I appreciate horror films for, the emotional and psychological effect they have on the viewer, you know, and it's something that I've thought a lot about because even in this film, right, Sally and her friends are not super kind to her brother, Franklin, who is in the wheelchair. They kind of ditch him, which is one, unkind and two, unsafe. You know, if I if I were in a, I like to think that if I were in an unknown situation in kind of rough terrain, I don't know that I would ever leave a friend that didn't have use of their legs. Just in the event we did have to get away quickly, even in a non-serial non killer emergency situation, you just don't know. And if someone, you know, can't get back in the car quickly without your help, and they can't drive themselves away. I would like to think I wouldn't leave them. But Sally and her friends do. And they're very dismissive of his feelings. Which is, you know, very unkind. She says unkind things to him. And then Franklin himself is an annoying character. So you kind of, on the other hand, you 
understand why they don't always want to be around him, right? So all these people are unlikable in their own way. And that just vanishes when you watch them begin to suffer. And you just don't want them to suffer anymore. So I think that a lot of horror films have a lot of layers to what they are saying and what they mean. As I said, this one has layers about uh, treatment of animals and uh, the Vietnam War, treatment of soldiers. And a lot, of, a lot of horror films have many layers. But I do think in a lot of them that is an element is just evoking our humanness in watching these imperfect sometimes highly unpleasant people suffer and desiring to be able to stop that. So on that, on that note, I think it's really, really lovely. And that seems like a funny thing to say when you're talking about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, doesn't it? But I also enjoyed, hmm, I'm trying to think of the correct way to word this just in case I'm, and so someone hasn't watched it and they're listening and they care to watch it. I liked the abruptness of the ending. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was provocative. I thought it was, um, yeah, thought provoking. And I just enjoyed that it wasn't, um, this long drawn out thing. It's very abrupt and I really liked it. So it's interesting. I, I didn't really, I didn't have any expectations for this movie. I didn't think one way or another about it. And all I ever felt was nervous, but I didn't think, oh, I'm going to love it or, oh, I'm going to hate it. I didn't really think about it either way. So this is interesting. Okay, this is how I'm going to classify this. I wouldn't necessarily be ready to watch it again, but I'm glad I saw it. I'm glad I have experienced this portion of film history because it's cool and it's important in the scheme of of cinema so i'm glad i'm glad i saw it i'm glad i saw it you guys will have to tell me if you have any suggestions for my uh future episodes of film giant as i said there's a surprising amount of movies i've never seen which is just strange because I've seen so many obscure old films, but then I haven't seen things like Full Metal Jacket or I think I haven't seen Bridge on the River Kwai or old things like that. So there's there's a lot I need to do. But thank you so much for listening. Give me a follow on Instagram at Courtney Watches Movies. I have a lot of fun over there. I'm learning how to do reels and stuff. So don't forget to like, subscribe, rate. That really helps me out. And and like I said, thanks for listening. I hope you're having a wonderful 2023 so far. And I will see you at the next one. Bye, friends.